Live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for the Exit Exchange. Brought to you by XPX Atlanta. Dedicated to changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the Southeast. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. This is John Ray with Business Radio X, and welcome to another edition of the Exit Exchange. I'm here alongside David Shavzen and Bob Tanksley. David, Bob, how are you today? We're doing well. Thanks, John. Good to be back with you. Yeah, great to be back for uh, yet another edition, and we're on a roll. We've had some great guests, and we've got another one today. Uh, Harry Merker is with us, folks. He is Managing Director at Aon. Harry, welcome. Thanks so much for having me today. really appreciate you letting me come on your show. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and what you're up to at Aon. How are you serving folks out there? Oh, uh, I mean, as you all can imagine, it's been a, been a bit of a challenge here in the pandemic uh, without being able to get out there and see one another face-to-face. You know, but we're doing okay. Currently, um, you know, my role is serving as the, our East region's middle market broking leader. And I know that's a bit of a mouthful. Um, but what it is my team and I do is we are the face of our clients to the insurance marketplace, uh, putting it simply. Excellent. Well, welcome uh, again, Harry. Appreciate you being here. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, let's get to the heart of it for our business owner clients. What what do you see owners doing wrong, missing, not understanding about their business insurance needs? And we only have uh, thirty minutes for sh- for the show today. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you God. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I'll tell you. I don't know that folks are necessarily doing things wrong. I just think that you know, when it comes to specific approaches, it's good to be open about, you know, what it is, you know, open to listening about new products and essentially how to approach purchasing insurance. And what do I mean by that? Well, um, broadly speaking, you know, everybody wants to focus on price, right? And price is definitely something that our insurance buyers, you know, insurance buyers everywhere want to be conscious of. But I think what's important is understanding how to, you know, sort of how to be cognizant about not stepping over a dollar to pick up a penny, if that's, if that makes sense. I think when we're buying insurance and when we're protecting our business, it's, it's important to have the broadest cover again at the lowest price, right? So part of what it is, our part of what our job is to do is to help our clients and prospective clients think about ways to buy, right? It's, it's some of our clients, um, you know, when we initially get involved with them, may may look to purchase insurance to comply with a loan, right? Which is great. But I think it's important to remember that those lenders who are lending money to business out there want to make sure that their money is protected and not necessarily protect the businesses, you know, in their entirety that they may be lending to, right? So while your basic property insurance, general liability insurance, auto insurance, and even umbrella right, to a specific limit that that, that lender might set, set is appropriate. What we want to do is sort of go a little deeper into that, right? Some lenders may not be requiring cyber insurance. Is that something that, you know, we, sh- you know, our buyers should be thinking about purchasing? Um, some lenders or, so, you know, some of the requirements, requirements may state that we'd look to purchase $5 million 
of excess liability insurance. But is that the appropriate amount of limit to buy, right? So I say that because, again, I think it's important to think in terms of how business owners, again, can protect themselves and insure or make a conscious decision not to insure or self-insure various exposures that they may come across day in and day out. Hey, Harry, I've often heard uh, there's four different ways to handle risk. There may be five or six, I don't know, but uh, can you uh, go through those uh, with for, for uh, our listening audience, which is primarily uh, uh, advisors to business owners, but we might even have uh, some business owners here listening on the show as well. Yep. So, uh, I mean, look, broad, broadly speaking, there are a number of ways to, diff- you know, to handle risk. The first one, you know, would be to avoid it entirely, right? Risk practice, risk avoidance, which is let's do whatever we can to implement policies and procedures to make sure that, you know, we don't really take on any individual risk as a business ourselves. I think that, you know, while, while that's certainly an, appro- an approach, I think that can, can be tough. So part of what we do is help business transfer risk onto insurance carriers, right? And that can come in a myriad of different ways, most of which are purchasing insurance policies, if that makes sense. So again, for a variety of different exposures, cyber, you know, directors and officers, uh, employment practices, straight general liability, workers' compensation, all of those things. These are lines of insurance that we would place on our client's behalf to transfer in the individual risk of um, a business onto an insurance program. And thereafter, there are ways of managing that risk, right? Um, Making sure that there are appropriate um, loss control procedures in place to avoid, you know, to mitigate losses from happening before they start or to make sure that there are appropriate post-loss procedures in place in the form of uh, claims procedures and what happens in the event of a loss and how quickly can we, you know, sort of tackle um, the event or the occurrence that's happened to make sure that it doesn't balloon into something larger. Um, I'm not sure if that fully answered your question, but broadly speaking, those are the conversations that we're having with clients and prospective clients alike, you know, again, to make sure that their business is appropriately protected. Yeah. And you just mentioned uh, cyber, you know, you don't have to be a, a super large company to have a, a hacking incident from some group overseas uh, or or take uh, Colonial Pipeline uh, most most recently in the news. You can be a small business like a lot of our listeners and, and advisors uh, to to business owners might have as clients. Cyber COVID. What, what are some, uh, some some hot button policies that are should be considered now? Well, I mean, I mean, certainly cyber insurance is, you know, is absolutely one of those, right? It's this, you know, cyber insurance. And again, I I won't pretend to be an expert on cyber insurance because we actually have another group within Aon that places that. But we speak to clients a lot about that. And broadly speaking, it's, you know, if you're a business that takes in any sort of personal information and or, or, or and when I say personal information, it could be in the form of accepting credit cards for payment right? For, for what it is you're doing, you're housing specific information for the clients that you serve, which means they are effectively at risk. And what I'd say is, is that cyber, cyber insurance, much like cyber attacks, is an ever-evolving exposure, 
right? With every, you know, with, with every attack, we seem to learn something new or the industry seems to learn something new about how these attacks are being made and what's happening, right? And more importantly, what's happening after a loss. So one of the interesting things about the Colonial Pipeline is that they settled. And what I mean they, by they settled is they paid the ransom, right, in order to get past it. I think that is a specific phenomenon that you could see happening more and more. And what that means is needing to, needing to ensure that the proper insurance coverage is placed so that the individual business isn't paying those, you know, that ransom out of their bottom line. Right. So it's it's you know, I say that because, again, there are a number of different mechanisms within cyber insurance and a number of different coverages. And again, I won't pretend, you know, that I know all of them, um, but I'm happy to put folks in touch with folks, you know, in our organization that do. But, you know, what I'd say is it's is that it's an ever evolving exposure. Um, and what's happening is tradition in traditional lines of insurance, general liability, for instance, there is move. There are movements to exclude that within your standard general liability placement, because, you know, much like pollution liability, let's say, those coverages are better insured and more broadly insured within their own standalone policy, right? So going back to the initial question that you asked me, what are folks sort of thinking about? You know, again, if we go back to that example where some clients are purchasing to what a lender is requiring, lender may not require you to buy cyber insurance, but is it a good idea? Probably, probably worth certainly evaluating the cost benefit of purchasing it, right? Because again, I think it's important that we understand that potentially paying fifty thousand dollars, and I'll just pick a number out of you know thin air, potentially paying fifty thousand dollars for cyber liability insurance to avoid paying a five million dollar ransom down the line to protect your client's personal information might be a good idea, right? And sadly. Sometimes it takes a loss to occur and it takes sort of having that pain to realize, you know what, I should have done that. I absolutely should have done that. So again, if you talk about, you know, what it is our role is as property, you know, as advisors, you know, as risk advisors to clients, it's weighing the cost benefit to clients and helping them sort of navigate their way through the, well, what should I purchase? How should I purchase it? And how much of it? Should I purchase, if that makes sense? Folks, we're chatting with Harry Merker, and Harry is a managing director of Aon. Uh, Harry, you know, one of the things I think would happen along the way as folks go down that trail looking at cyber insurance is they might get a look into some of their practices because the insurance company is going to be asking questions about some of their best practices in terms of data protection, cyber protection that they have in place, right? So it's a really good way to get a report card on where you stand as a business. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, the, the you know, candidly, the application for cyber insurance is some of our clients' worst nightmares. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's, it, it is the longest application. I think it's over 20 pages at this point that can only be filled out by somebody who has intimate knowledge of a network. And the most amazing thing is, and again, you know, we're not, you know, I would never tell somebody that they're doing something wrong or, 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 or what they have is bad, right? But what we find is that some of our clients who are filling this out can think, well, I've got the most sophisticated system in the world. I mean, look at the colonial pipeline, right? We've got the most sophisticated system in the world. 
And what's interesting about that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pill for something that I heard somebody say on a call uh, a couple days ago, which was, you could have the most sophisticated system in the world, but many of these cyber attacks are are human error, right? These are phishing emails that are sent to employees, you know, that look legitimate and click on a link, and all of a sudden you click on that link and boom, right? They're in, and we're in trouble, right? So I say that because. It's it's it is voluminous. There is a lot of things you know that you need to know about the network that you have. And again, I'm I'm going to apologize to my to my colleagues in the cyber world within Aon because again, I'm not you know a cyber guy. I know enough to be dangerous, which at times can be dangerous. But you know what I'd say is it's absolutely having a you know worth having a risk evaluation to determine the level of cyber insurance that's needed to determine what potential improvements could be made to you know to IT infrastructure to avoid these things happening moving forward and the best part about it is is you know again I'll do a shameless plug for Aon is we literally have folks you know within our within our world and within the Aon you know stratosphere where all they do is do this and it's it's you know as you talk about you know you know taking it back to the more macro level and how we could be a benefit to our clients, it's helping them with the problems that they have, but it's also helping them understand the problems that they may not know exist, right? And how to address those particular issues, sort of bringing them to the forefront, addressing those particular issues again via risk transfer or internal policy tweaks to make sure. That nothing bad happens, right? I mean, our job is to make sure that our clients and their, you know, their executive boards can sleep at night. <laughs> so we wanted to find out what keeps them up. So Harry, um, two, two things really kind of harkens back to Bob's question uh, earlier on and talking about avoiding. You really need both, right? What you're saying is you need to have the right coverage, but you also need to be vigilant internal uh, within the company, right, to avoid these things. Whether it's you know employees opening emails to to safety issues on, on a warehouse floor or something like that. Um, but swinging back to the different coverages, you mentioned, you know, that maybe in some cases uh, more prudent to have a standalone policy, but if you look at the range, the wide range of potential uh, coverages, um, how much of those typically are and can be economically packaged up into a, a policy uh, versus having multiple policies in, you know, in different areas. And then, you know, yeah, I say reasonably priced, whatever that means. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, here's what I'll tell you. It's, it's broadly speaking, um, when we look to roll out, a, a, you know, a comprehensive insurance program for any of our clients, we're going to try to make sure that all of those are effective on the same date so it could be treated as a package, right? Taking it a step further, one of the other things that we look to do from a strategy perspective is consolidate as many lines of insurance with one insurance carrier as possible, right? The reason we want to do that is not only to take advantage of potential discounts and what I refer to as bottom line underwriting, sort of underwriting to the bottom line and not the individual line, right? But because that can be more economical and to our, you know, to our clients, they're looking at one line item for insurance. Yes. There may be workers' compensation, general liability, property within that. But for us, you know, for them, it really is one entire insurance solution. And that can come from multiple different lines. And candidly, 
as long as we can do what we we are able to make sure that all of those lines of insurance renew on the same date so that our controller who also might have their toe in HR who might have their toe in a number of other things doesn't have to spend all their time in the world on insurance right it's it's all of it can sort of be treated as a package right and it's it's you know again in policy discounts right as we talk about underwriting to the bottom line could be available and should be available, right? So part of what's included in that package, right? Your standalone coverages such as DNO, as cyber, as pollution, um, EPLI, you know, any number of other lines of insurance that might be appropriate for a specific business. Again, our job is to generate those terms, create competition in the marketplace, bring those quotes to to our to our business owners and Weigh the cost benefit of purchasing, right? And even even thereafter, weigh the cost benefit of not only purchasing specific limit on top, but also weigh the cost benefit of what we're buying on the bottom in the form of deductibles, right? Not everything has to be a first dollar insurance program, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it does. So for the question without, you know, um, obviously not uh, disparaging, uh, you know, Aon and the organization, but out there, you've been in it for a long time. But among companies, do you find that what you described there, right, is, is, is pulling it all together, discounts, working all that. I, you know, are different companies better at different categories? In other words, even though no, it may make sense to co, co, co-terminate. No question. Okay. No question. And again, you know, again, there will be... And you know my market partners out there will you know will <laughs> hang me hang, string me up exactly. by my toes you know but you know by broadly you know making a broad generalization but what I would probably say is sixty percent of the businesses out there you talk about manufacturing wholesale distribution you know maybe some real estate um, you know major you know you know major sort of categories of industry out there will likely be written in one way shape or form by we'll call it seven to 10 insurance carriers, right? Now within that, each of them has a different approach to risk. And what I mean by that is, you know, again, their, their models are shaped over time based on losses. And stop me if I get too granular. I think if we were in a room, you know, somebody be able to kick me under the table and say, how are you, you know, we're losing you here. But it's, um, the, you know, they underwrite them in different ways. And what I mean by that is, you know, you know, carrier A may have an adverse loss experience to workers' compensation in the manufacturing industry, but carrier B may not. Mm-hmm. So carrier A may be a little bit more conservative in their underwriting approach to that line of insurance where carrier B may be more aggressive, right? And it's incumbent upon us as brokers, right, to create that, to not only know what, what each carrier is strong at and, you know, and how they're strong, but also to create competition amongst those carriers so that coverage can be as broad as possible and price can be depressed as much as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, one more, because I'm really curious, and I'll let Bob jump in after, but but back to sort of, we mentioned it, but COVID, what, what, are, you, what are you seeing these days specifically with COVID? It's you know, been a year and a half. I just got uh, something to sign for just, just in, in, in our neighborhood, you know, for the common areas and all that. Like it was, it was two pages of signing your life away. Um, I, what what are you starting to see with uh, COVID from a um, well, you know, business standpoint? Well, what's interesting is 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 
there was a question, you know, there's a question as to whether or not uh, COVID or, you know, even a broader, you know, to, to put it more broadly, communicable disease was a covered cause of loss, right? Reason being is, is you know, let's take property insurance, for example, right? Where many folks, you know, un- were unfortunately had to shutter their businesses, restaurants, right? Had to shutter their business because it was simply unsafe for them to serve clients. Well, unfortunately, the mechanism within a property insurance policy, business interruption, which allows you, you know, to claim a loss of income, must be triggered by direct physical loss, a fire, a flood, a hurricane, something like that. Sadly, that didn't happen here. So while there was a serious loss of income to many to many businesses, which is extremely unfortunate, the business interruption trigger in the policy, which is direct physical loss, didn't happen. So what you see right now is a whole bunch of litigation, right, for many business owners, you know, who are upset because they bought insurance. They can't make, you know, they can't make claims. You know, I completely, you know, completely empathize with that. But sadly, insurance contracts are written to be very specific as it relates to that, right? So there is a bunch of litigation, which if overturned, you know, could see a flood of, you know, a flood of compensable claims coming through the market. We're just not there yet. Um one of the things that's been being, you know, that you know that is being kicked around. I'd have to do a little research on on where that is, but much like the ter- the government response to 9/11, which was the Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, which was a government backstop um, for ter- certified terrorist events here in the United States with about 100 million dollars, um, somewhere caught up in either the House or Senate is the Pandemic Response Insurance Act, and they're you know they're ta- the government is now talking about or had been talking previously about creating a similar backstop, similar to terrorism, right? So sadly, the insurance industry, remember, you know, remember I said earlier that many models are sort of influenced by prior claims. The response of the insurance industry from a property and general liability perspective is an outright communicable disease exclusion on policies Mm -hmm. because of the question of, you know, in the event this happens again, you still have to trigger direct physical loss. So I say that because I don't know that the insurance industry yet, you know, sadly, we are a reactive industry more than we are proactive, right? It's, 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 I don't know that we're there yet from an insurance product or an insurability perspective of coronavirus per se, but mark my words, it's coming. And you know, sadly, when it comes, I cannot cannot imagine it will be affordable uh, at all because of the amount of losses and because of what we've seen. You know, the unprecedented you know economic losses that we've seen thus far. But again, I think that will be another arrow in the quiver of insurance professionals to talk about you know to you know products to talk about their you know to their clients with about whether or not it makes sense to insure for something like this. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if that, you know, that may have been a very long-winded way of answering your question, but I hope I touched on, you know, some meaningful, some meaningful responses to that. Yeah, just just like 9-11, you know, COVID came out of nowhere and, and the, the country and business owners, government leaders and whatnot, everyone had to adapt to it uh, literally day by day, uh, yeah. which brings up the, the point that owners, I don't think, are going to stop facing challenges going forward. And our XPX Atlanta members, which include accountants, attorneys, wealth advisors, consultants, bankers, M&A people, valuation folks, broad spectrum, 
um, are working with owners in their capacities on a regular basis. What message would you have for them uh, to encourage their business owner clients to now start considering, hey, there are some major risks out there. Are you properly covered? Are you dialed in? You know what? Because whether it's a transaction and the and and not a transition, as we technically define those here in the chapter, um, the owner is going to be leaving their business at some point to someone. And why not in the best shape possible with the most risk mitigated possible? Absolutely. Well, I, I, I mean, look, what I'd say is be as inquisitive as possible and don't be afraid to ask questions, right? I think when it comes to insurance, you know, most, you know, it is, it can be considered relatively arbitrary. And what I mean by that is, well, what do we sell? We're selling a piece of paper and a promise to pay, right? So it's, it's, I say that because you would be absolutely surprised at what you actually can insure. So when I say be inquisitive and be curious and ask questions, I find that some, some clients or some prospective clients may have a bit of reticence to actually ask questions, right? Because it may expose the fact that they may not know a lot about insurance and that's okay, right? That's why you hire an insurance professional in the same way you hire a lawyer and in the same way you hire an accountant, right? We may not have to go to school as long as those lawyers, <laughs> right? But we are a professional service and, you know, and there, you know, and there is a lot to learn and there are subject matter experts in literally everything, right? And I say that because insurance you know, yes, while it is reactive, you know, as you know, by nature as an industry, there's some products out there, you know, that would absolutely blow your mind. You know, you can insure intellectual property now, which is extraordinary. Tax liability, which is extraordinary. Reps and warranties, right? In the event of a, you know, in the event of a sale of a business from one to another. I mean, these are cutting edge insurance products, you know, that, you know, that are relatively new, right? So I say that because, again, it's as you talk about, particularly as you talk about handing down a business and wanting to make sure it's in, you know, in the right condition or even selling a business, right? Insurance is an asset on the balance sheet, right? Whether it's a stock purchase or an asset deal in any given deal, you, you know, you're picking up liabilities of the past, you know, of the past owner, depending on the insurance program, these can all be you know, tied back or transferred onto an insurance policy, again, which makes insurance an asset, right? So I'd say be as inquisitive as possible. Make sure the folks that you're working with have the knowledge. And if they don't, make sure they're at a firm that has the resources to have those knowledges because, you know, that, you know, that knowledge, because again, what we do and part of what we do in the most basic form is helping the executive boards, you know, the executives and the boards of the clients that we service sleep at night, right? We want to know what keeps them up at night. We want to know how to, you know, how they can address that either through transferring risk or, you know, creating new policies and procedures to make sure that they get that sleep and they don't have to worry about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Thanks, Harry. Good points. I think another point could be made here as well that we made in the last show last month when we had a tax advisor on, and that is business owners, if you're listening, stay close to your advisors. Advisors, if you're listening, Stay close to your business owners. Yeah. Awesome. Lean on them. Lean on them as much as possible. That's what they're there for, and that's what you're paying them for. Yeah. Great, great words from uh, Harry. Harry, uh, this has been uh, uh, terrific. Uh, 
of folks, Harry Merker from Aon. He's managing director at Aon. This has been terrific. And uh, I can't imagine there aren't some folks out there that have heard what you've had to say and want to get in touch. So now let's get to that important question. What are your coordinates where they can uh, connect with you? Sure. So, um, you know, you know, I'm definitely online at LinkedIn. I don't think there are a lot of Harry Merkers out there that work for Aon. That's M-E-R-K-E-R. Um, feel free to email at Harry, H-A-R-R-Y dot Merker, M-E-R-K-E-R at A-O-N dot com. And happy to drop my phone number as well. Area code 954-608-2064. Till we're in the office, mobile phone is the uh, best way to get a hold of all of us. So, you know, like I said, be as liberal with my contact information as you'd like. If I can't answer your question, I'll make sure to get you to an expert within our firm who can. That's great. Harry Merker with Aon. Uh, Harry, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Folks, just a quick reminder that XPX Atlanta is a high-quality network of advisors and service providers that are focused on collaboration. And they place the client's interest at the center of everything that they do. They, This group represents a broad representation of exit planning competencies in value building, value transfer, and life legacy for business owners. For more information on XPX Atlanta and all the great resources that it offers, go to xpxatlanta.org. And if you want to see an archive of all our shows, you can go to XPX atlantaradio.com david bob another great one absolutely yeah. john thanks much yeah thanks john terrific fifth, ep- fifth episode appreciate it yeah it's been been a good series so far and we got more coming next month folks so we look forward to having you join us again on the exit exchange <laughs>